All right. Welcome to Canvas Church, everyone. Well, I hope everyone had a fantastic Christmas. I know mine was amazing. Who else had an amazing Christmas? Awesome. I know a couple people said theirs was less than pleasurable, so... We'll, we'll hope that this new year is going to be uh, fantastic. And so, as you guys uh, saw in the, uh, in the graphics there, we're still talking about Jesus is in the Christmas story. And uh, in those pictures there, uh, you got a, a, an illustration of, uh, you know, I think I saw pictures of the, the shepherds and the angel coming down. And so we're going to open up to that real quick. If you guys would open up to your Bibles in Luke 2. We're going to continue on with Jesus is. We've heard great things about Jesus being the better gift. And uh, Caleb did a, an amazing job last week with uh, Jesus being our peace. Someone give it up for Caleb. Good job. Awesome. And uh, so today we're going to talk about Jesus and joy. And so read with me uh, in verse 8. We're talking about, uh, this is again, this is the day that Jesus was born. This is Christmas Day, and I'm sure back then it was exactly on December 25th, right? So in verse 8, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now I have to stop for a second because I want to piggyback off of what Trinica said. Sometimes we can face something that is amazing, the glory of the Lord, God's creation, an amazing plan is coming before these, these, uh, these shepherds, and they're afraid. And that's okay, that's human nature. I would, I'd probably wet myself as well. But, but do you see, just like the, the story that Trinica told about the young girl who faced something amazing, but she was afraid. I, what is this? This is out of my comfort zone. This is weird. This is different. We face the same thing as humans all the time, even facing potentially amazing things. And so to piggyback off what she said, I thought that was amazing. And these shepherds did the exact same thing. They were afraid. And we can face 2013 in the same way, afraid of what is to come. But take that opportunity and lie to yourself. That's not fear. That's excitement. Your brain often doesn't realize the difference between those two emotions. Just tell yourself the truth. I'm not afraid. I'm excited for 2013. I had to stop that. I thought that was an amazing story and a great example of the same thing these shepherds are facing here. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, uh, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For unto you this day is uh, born a Savior. Good news of great joy for all the people. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the word you're speaking to your people right now, God. Lord, that uh, I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth would be your will. It would not be mine, my ideas, Lord, but you would speak through me with your Holy Spirit right now. And would you prepare the hearts and minds of all of us here today that we'd be able to receive from you. That we would be transformed as we walk out of here. That we would enter the new year with hope and with joy in the name of Jesus because of 
this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. Anoint me, and uh, would you bless us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys again for being here. We live in a culture where I think, and I think you all would agree, that we are all seeking joy. We're always seeking it. That's it's part of our culture. In fact, particularly in this culture, in America, I believe that we are looking for happiness, some contentment, some sort of fulfillment. And that's not a new thing, although I think that in latter years it's become a, a real huge culture of immediate gratification and doing what feels right in the moment. But this, was, this has been in place for years. I mean, even if you look at our, our founding fathers, you know, Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence, you look at the verbiage there, and even then, uh, they agreed back then, you know, we have unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They even made a great movie out of it. That phrase, at least. But that is, that is often the course of our lives. You know, we go about the, the monotony of work and paying taxes and bills and groceries and kids. And, and we do all these things. But all along the while, we're looking for contentment and joy and happiness, the pursuit of happiness. And I think that for a lot of people, they believe it is some elusive thing that they can't find. And so they go from thing to thing, from, uh, you know, from sex to success to wealth to uh, fun to traveling to everything under the sun to try to find this fulfillment, this happiness. And I don't think that's what God really wants, what he really intends for us to go search for it. And so we have to look at what does God say? Where does God say that that is? And I know a lot of us, I, I would say, and I'm, I'm not talking just about the lost. A lot of you would say, yeah, I know all those people, man. They're looking for it everywhere. But I'm talking about you in this room, myself. I found myself more than not seeking to find a fulfillment and a joy, even as a Christian, trying to numb the pain of life, trying to find some fun or something exciting, something to fill that void instead of turning toward God. And so it's important that we examine our own lives at this point and realize where we're looking for our joy. And there's, there's good news. Aside from, the, aside from Jesus coming to this earth, there's a historical figure that I'm sure you may have heard of who's uh, done all the hard work for you. If you guys have ever heard of King Solomon, King Solomon, now, he tried everything you can imagine. He did it all. Whatever you think you might find happiness in, he gave it a shot, in excess. King Solomon was, as we know, the wealthiest man in history. Had more power, more influence. I mean, this guy was Hollywood times ten. I mean, this guy was, this guy, you know, had more money than, I don't know. But I, he, he had it all. He had more wives and concubines and had more physical pleasure than all of us combined. And, and this guy had the best food, the best parties. He saw the greatest success one can imagine. He could see everything the eye could see, he said. I mean, this guy did everything, and I'm talking excess. And at the end of his life, if you read Ecclesiastes, you get toward the end of his life his perspective on all this. I mean, this guy, again, had more wisdom. He said that he's also said to be the wisest man that ever lived, to lead his people. He accomplished more than 
than most people ever will in their lifetime. So this guy saw and did everything. And at the end of his life, he says that all of it, all of it, everything, everything I've seen, everything that you could do, no one is going to make an impact on this world and be remembered for years to come. All of it is vanity and grasping for the wind. He says your life is a mist or a vapor. I heard Mark Driscoll, uh, a pastor, uh, relate it to passing gas. And he said, that is your life. And I actually thought that was kind of accurate because, of course, you know, some make more impact than others. <laughs> but in the end of the day, it's all the same. None of it matters. And that's where, that's where uh, King Solomon ended up. After all of this, none of that matters. So once again, we're left with all the things you can pursue in this life. Where do we find joy? Because there is something innate in us our unalienable right to pursue happiness. There's something in us that wants fulfillment and contentment and joy, and we'll look everywhere for it. Some of you would would, would agree, man, I've looked just about everywhere, and I never found it in the world. So where do we look? Now, I want to differentiate real quickly that uh, when I'm talking about joy, I want to differentiate for our purposes here today. You can Tear apart the definitions if you want, but I want to differentiate between joy and happiness. Because we look for, again, happiness and contentment and joy, but the Bible very clearly differentiates between joy and pleasure. The Greek word for pleasure actually comes from the same word from which we derive our word hedonism. And hedonism is, is of course, the the philosophy of a self-centered indulgence and pleasure-seeking. And that's what we involve ourselves in today in our culture in this time where we are looking for pleasure. Because you can find pleasure. And that includes not just sin, but good things as well. I find great pleasure and delight and happiness in my children. You know, in making people laugh. You know, in having some some comforts during my, my financial month and having some margin. That makes me happy. How many wake up and say that, man, I wake up and coffee makes me happy? Okay, amen, that's me. I, I wake up and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely addicted to coffee, I agree. But I don't need it to think clearly, but I just love that stuff. I, I gotta admit, and maybe that's wrong, I don't know. I'm confessing too much, TMI. But, it, but there's a difference between what's happy and what's pleasurable and what is the joy of the Lord, right? Those things will never satisfy you, they'll never fulfill you. And so there's a distinct difference here. I mean, even the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Hebrews 11 says that it is a fleeting pleasure. Well, otherwise, why would we do it? Of course, it feels good for a moment, but the Bible very clearly indicates that it, with it brings death. And I know that, like myself, some, many of you have experienced that. What that sin does to your life, to your family, to your spirit. True joy can only be found in a right relationship with God. And so we're going to dive into a few points about joy. Because God wants us to be full of joy. It's all over the Bible. He wants us full of joy. Even the Bible says that, uh, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm really glad it says that, because if it said make a beautiful noise, I wouldn't be led into heaven. I actually tried out for the worship team. And, uh, why are you laughing? I didn't even get to my joke yet. 
actually tried for the worship team, and uh, for some reason, they actually said that you have to have a beautiful noise to the Lord. And, you know, I got mad at Ben. I said, that's very unbiblical. Apparently, a joyful noise isn't enough to be up here. So, I'm still getting over that. Finding forgiveness. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. His kingdom, his authority, his reign is about joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what his kingdom's about. That's what he wants for you. In his reign, in his authority, he wants you to have joy. That's what God's all about. John 15, 11. We'll get into this verse deeper in a moment, but it says that these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'm telling you these things because I want your joy full, Jesus says. This is what God wants for us. So if you're taking notes, I've got three points about joy that I want to jump into. And I've got a lot of verses, but I'll just kind of read through them. Uh, So number one, if you want to write this down, uh, joy is available to all. Again, this is not some elusive thing. This is available to you today. This is available for you and to all who want it. And everyone's going to seek in different places to find it, but God wants you to have it. Luke 2.10, that we just read, said that the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is for all people. This is not just for those who were raised in a Christian home. This is not just for those who you know, were born into a wealthy family. This is not for those who lived a sinless life. Thank God. This is for all people to have this joy. And he's not, he's not keeping it from you. He's not withholding th- good things from you. You know, too many times people who don't know God don't want to come to him because they think that, well, then I'll have to give up this alcohol or I'll have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or I'll have to, uh, you know, I'll have to switch jobs or I'll have to start, uh, you know, making money a different way. There's so many things that we say that, uh, you know, that we are afraid to come to God because I will lose this thing that brings me pleasure. And they don't realize that the joy the fulfillment that you get with God is way better than that. It's way more fulfilling. That it, it's, it's the living water that doesn't go dry. And people miss out on that because they're so tied to the pleasure, to the happiness that they temporarily have found that they don't want to give up. And oftentimes it takes a, a moment of desperation. Oftentimes it takes the hardest point in your life for things to turn you to God. When you find out that none of those things matter anymore. But God says that joy is available for all. Number two, and this one might be one of the hardest ones, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. It is a choice to choose God. It's a choice in the midst of hard times to believe that God is your joy. Habakkuk 3.17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, The fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He didn't say I feel like it. 
There's no food. There's no vegetables. There's no oil. There's no meat. Judah, calm down. He says that there's no food. There's nothing. The circumstances don't tell me I should be full of joy. My family might starve. But he says, I will. Not I feel like it. Not circumstances tell me I should. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Lie to yourself. You're excited. And I know this sounds corny. You know, it's the, it's the self-help books. But guess what? It works. You make the decision to look at your circumstances differently. To ignore the facts and start believing his word about what he says about him being an all-powerful God who provides and heals and changes and redeems. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And these are trials of many kinds. This is all sorts of trials. Trials against your faith, your finances, your marriage, all sorts of trials that you can come under. Consider it joy. How does that make sense? You look at your life as a series of obstacles, but those are ultimately opportunities. Opportunities for God to come in and be the hero. To come in and provide for your needs. He's looking for you to turn to him with joy and thanksgiving. And ask him, God, come to my rescue. Because in those moments, he will see glory. In those moments, he will shine down as the hero. And you won't get any glory for it. He will. And that's exactly what he wants. All these obstacles in your life, the hardships we'll face. If in those moments we would submit to God, it's an opportunity for him to refine our character to change us into the man or woman of God that we were created to be, a man or woman of faith, so that his name can be glorified. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul wrote that from prison. I don't know if you knew that, but once again, your joy is completely independent of your circumstances completely independent of your own circumstances. That's why when you look at famous people that cheat on their spouses, commit suicide, or doing drugs, Hollywood types, and everyone is so curious. I can't believe how they could do that. They have everything. But they've experienced everything that you may not have. And guess what? It wasn't enough. It will never satisfy even if all of your circumstances changed and you had the job you want, you had the perfect spouse that you want, you had the perfect kids. Sorry, they're mine. <laughs> None of that would matter. You would not be fulfilled. I promise you. Solomon says it. Life proves it. All of your circumstances will not make you content, will not give you the joy of the Lord. Number three, joy will give you strength. Joy gives you strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved. That was a time of grieving that he said that. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the Joy 
set be- that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, <clears throat> the throne of God, who for the joy set before him. Oftentimes, the decisions we make for joy, for God, aren't going to be the ones that make you happy. Confessing your sin is not going to feel good in the moment. But with it, you will reap joy and life. Tithing, can I be honest, doesn't always feel good. Doesn't always feel good. I would I like to say, I, would, I wish I could say that every time I write a check to God, or you know, I do it online, so I do like this. Whenever I give to God, I wish I could say that every time it felt amazing. But guess what? It doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't feel right, but I know that is the right thing to do because I'm honoring my God, because I know that it is his wealth. And through that, guess what? My bills are paid. Because that is the foundation of wise choices I make with my money so that I can have margins, so that I know that God's provision will come. I do that for the joy set before us, and that gives me strength. It gives you strength to make right choices. When your significant other wants you to sleep with them, you can say no and do it with joy and be strong because you know that the joy of obeying God is better than any immediate fulfillment and gratification of pleasing someone else or even yourself. The choices we make for happiness will not bring us joy. They will not be fulfilling. They'll feel good for a moment, but they will bring death. So those are the three points about joy, but again, I don't want it to be elusive. I want to talk about three simple principles to talk about how to get joy. How is, it, how is it we obtain this? Number one, joy comes through intimacy. Joy comes through intimacy. John 15, this is uh, one if you want to turn to it, you can read with me. <clears throat> John 15. The internet here sucks, by the way. John 15. We will start off in verse 4. Now, these, this is in my Bible. This is in red. So this is Jesus talking, so take this seriously. I'm joking. It's the Bible. Take it all seriously. Come on. Jeez. Lighten up. Number four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, this is important. These things, all these things we just talked about, abiding in him, being fruitful, this is what, it says, uh, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, his joy,
joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy of Jesus. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Satisfying, finally. The number one way we can get joy is being intimate with God. And he gives us insights here on how to accomplish that. But up till verse 11, verses 4 through 10, there's seven verses there. And at least seven times, Jesus says, abide in me. In seven verses, says it over seven times, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Make your home with God in his love. That is intimacy, abiding in God. That is the number one way we can have joy. And he wants us to. It's, he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that you may have joy and your joy may be full. It's not elusive. This is exactly what God wants us to do is live in him. And we're going to move on to other parts of this, but it's very clear that, that God is... God is asking us to live in him so that our prayers will be answered, so that we will be fruitful in this life. And number two, joy comes through righteousness. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Sin in your life. And I know that for some reason, sin can bring up such bad connotations for those who are not real believers and Christians who don't understand how it works. Sin is just falling short of the perfection and the perfect will of God. We've all done things, and in our hearts there is sin. And through that sin, it does separate us from God. It's not saying you're a horrible person. Guess what? We all are without God. And that separates us from God. And therefore, we cannot have the intimacy that he's talking about here. And through abiding in him through loving him and obeying his commands by he changes our hearts from the inside out and we begin to want to make right choices he doesn't ask us to come to him once we clean up our lives i think some people can testify to that that they used to live in the world and they thought well once i quit drinking then i'll start going to church and guess what church does not save you giving up drinking does not save you i worked with a woman who was a christian and she uh, whenever I was, it was a, a business where it was mostly men and all these men were swearing profusely. And every time someone would swear around her, don't say that in front of me. Okay. And you know, they try to stop swearing in front of her. That's great, but you could change every one of their behaviors and they're still not going to make it to heaven. It's not about changing behaviors. It's about submitting the heart. And the only way you can do that is by leading people to the love of God. By exhibiting his love and sharing the joy that you have in your own life. But many of us still don't have it, even as Christians. We're still seeking contentment from other things. But it comes through intimacy and it comes through righteousness. Psalm 33.1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It's easier to praise when you don't have the conviction of sin on your life. I've lived in the world and I've lived for God. I've seen both sides of it. Sin is blinding and it separates you from God. You cannot praise him. You cannot be intimate with him with that on your life. People that are walking in sin, sometimes you, when they do you know, get dragged to church, 
They can't even look people in the eyes for fear of being judged because they feel the sin on their life. It is a chain, that sin. The pornography that you look at at night is a chain on your life. It is a temporary pleasure that, guess what, you can't give up on your own. The relationship you're in, you can't give that up on your own. The lies you tell to people, all the things we do that try to appease our own flesh, you can't give it up on your own. He doesn't say, get your life cleaned up and then come to me. He says, come to me and I'll clean up your life. And your desires change. And you don't want those things anymore. You won't want those things anymore. Joy comes through righteousness because you have the ability to be intimate with God. Number three, joy comes through purpose and fruit. Joy comes through purpose and fruit. If you look back at that scripture, it's very clear, very clear that through intimacy, God even says that you would prove to people that you're my disciples through the fruit in your life. I know that being, in, in, being a, the, the father of children, being the husband of my wife, I know that I have this desire to accomplish something. I want to be successful at some level. Even, you know, to do a job that I don't love the job, if I feel like I'm being successful at it, I want to do it more because I love the success. There is a, an inextricable connection between joy and bearing fruit, being successful. And in the same way that sin oftentimes replaces the, the, the fulfillment of God's joy, in the same way, good things do the exact same thing in our lives. The relationship, the love of another person, the success of financial wealth, traveling the world, seeing great things, these are all good things. The happiness that comes from kids Coffee makes me happy. And we'll often, so many times, we'll get, uh, you know, we'll get distracted from the best things of God because we're replacing it with, with very shallow things. We're, we're, we're replacing our social lives with, with social media online. Our victories are no more for the heart of a woman or for the kingdom of God, but they're for a video game online. And I'm being very serious. It's funny to some who don't, aren't gamers, but there's some gamers in this room that are like, oh, that's me. I was up at three in the morning last night playing video games. Grown men and women. I mean, it is, it's crazy, but those are the accomplishments that we reward ourselves with that feel good to the flesh. We go out and we conquer in business. I've talked to men who conquer women. I mean, literally just, that's their fulfillment, their satisfaction. You know, women that have to have the best fashion, who want to be socialized. I mean, whatever it is, and those are not in and of themselves bad things, but when they replace God, they will never be fulfilling. Go make wealth. That's great. That's, that's fine. Have a blessed family life. Have a beautiful house. There's nothing wrong with that unless that is trying to replace God. You will never find fulfillment in it. There are third world countries where people have more joy than 99.9% of Americans who have all the wealth of all the nations. Live in huts. 
Joy is not determined by your circumstances. We talked about that. But like I said, joy comes through purpose and through fruit. And all the purposes that we would devise in our own hearts, Solomon says, I've done all that. You're never going to make an impact in this world that isn't forgotten. Sure, you'll read about people in history books. But when this world's gone, Solomon says, this time under the sun, on this world, when this is all gone, what's it going to matter? It's like passing gas. But in all seriousness, none of it will matter. The only thing that matters is what we accomplish, the fruit of fulfilling our purposes in God's kingdom. And some of us would be like, oh, that's boring. That doesn't excite me. Get intimate with God. Because when you are intimate with God, he changes your heart. And all of a sudden, the things that he's passionate about will become your passion. If your heart is not broken for the lost... Or the down and out in society, get intimate with God. Because it will be, and it needs to be. He makes it very clear in his word that you will know them by their fruit. You will know his disciples by the fruit of their lives. And often as Christians, we come just seeking up more knowledge and more knowledge. And oh my gosh, that was such a good word. I love that. But when you leave here, if you do nothing with it, it doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit me to tell you the truth if there's not some fruit born from it, if you're not changed on the inside and it leads you to, pro- to profess the gospel to someone else, the good news of joy, that is our purpose and that is our mission. We don't come to church just to absorb good, feel good words. We come to be strengthened in fellowship, in teaching, in the word, so that we can go out and take the gospel to your work. Take it to your neighbors. Take it to your families. I got convicted this year. Who have I been ministering to? People in the church? Great. They're Christians. Who are you reaching with God's love and God's joy? And you can't minister it unless you have it. You've got to get intimate with God. Get rid of the sin in your life and start bearing fruit for his kingdom. Go do great things in business. Have a great family. But if those things aren't moving God's kingdom on and winning souls for eternity. What's it unto? You can't take the wealth with you. Can't take the house with you. Great, you got a promotion. That title is not going to go with you to heaven. None of it matters. But joy comes through purpose and fruit. Third John 1. And this is uh, the Apostle John speaking here. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That is his greatest joy, to know that he's making disciples and they're walking in the truth. Is that our greatest joy? Luke 15, 7 says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Awesome. I, God loves that you are righteous and living a good life. But go make jo- God more joyous by winning more souls for him. Extending his kingdom, his lordship, his rule and his reign. That's what God wants. That's what brings him joy. There's a celebration in heaven for people giving their lives to God. That's what he wants more of. That's what brings God joy. 
And in this is where our purpose lies. We will find more joy in fulfilling our purpose than we will in all the purposes of the earth. In all the accomplishments, all the fun things you can do, all the places you can travel. Those things are fine. But none of it matters in light of what we can accomplish for the kingdom of God. And so that's, this is our purpose, to be intimate with God. To forsake your sin and walk in righteousness. And have the joy that comes through living a life of purpose and bearing fruit for the kingdom. So the worship team is going to come up in a moment. I want to spend some time and pray. I want to get back to what I said about facing 2013. And the joy that comes from the Lord, it changes your perspective when your circumstances tell you that times are bleak. It's a bad economy. I lost my job. There's not enough money in the bank to pay the rent. When you choose joy, when you make that decision, you take your eyes off of the obstacle and onto the omnipotent, onto the God that will provide all your needs, that will come through, that will change your heart. When you can submit your heart to God and say, God, I don't, I can't do it on my own. I can't live this life. I can't make enough money. I can't save my marriage. I can't save my kids. You begin to focus on God and it's now an opportunity. It's not, God, I'm afraid of 2013. It's, God, I'm excited to see how you're going to come through in 2013. How you're going to come through for my bills. How you're going to save my kids. I'm excited. I'm excited to see God come through in 2013. The circumstances don't make me happy. Maybe they do, but not like the joy of the Lord. You might be in great circumstances. You might be in horrible circumstances. But where is your focus? Is it on God? Is it in intimacy? Is it, what can you do to surrender more to God in your heart? Let him change who you are. How can you change yourself, your character, and submit to God in those moments and let God do a work in you so you can come in and change your character and change your circumstances and get the glory out of it? We have a purpose. Go and bow your heads as we pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you've got joy for all people, that we can walk into 2013 and choose joy. You are powerful. You are mighty, God. We celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your love. We celebrate your joy. And God, we surrender to you right now, God. We've searched high and low for other ways to be happy and be content. But nothing satisfies like you, like your presence, like the forgiveness that you bring and the salvation you bring us, God. Would you come right now in might and power Would you help us surrender our hearts and our minds to you right now? As everyone's praying, there are people here that would agree and they would confess that I've looked high and low for the joy of the Lord and I need to surrender my heart to, to see the intimacy that you're talking about, Brandon. Whether you've walked away from God to look for that joy somewhere else and you've walked into sin or tried to replace him with other successes or other pleasures, Or whether for the first time you're realizing that's the joy I want. I've tried everything else. I want you to raise your hand right now so we can pray together that that we can surrender to God. If you need to surrender your life right now, raise your hand and we'll pray all together. 
Jesus, thank you, God, that you are in control, that you have given us joy for this new season, for this new year. And we make the decision today, God, to surrender all, to get intimate with you, to read your word, to seek you out, and to put our faith and our trust in you during these hard times. We love you, and we thank you, God, for everything you're doing in our hearts. You're changing us. You're challenging us, Lord. And we make the decision today to choose joy in a life of intimacy and righteousness, to start bearing fruit for your kingdom in 2013. We love you and thank you for this day and for everything you're doing in Jesus' name.